Hello, and welcome to episode number 277 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me this week is author Sonali Dev. Sonali is here to talk about her new book, and I have some extremely tempting words in a very tempting order. Are you ready? Her book is A Retelling of Rapunzel Set in Mumbai. Yes, you're curious, right? Okay, these are all good words. Her latest book is A Distant Heart. It comes out on December 26th, and we talk about the story, the angst level, and how these two characters came to be. We also talk about common elements between this book and her last book, A Change of Heart, and what she's working on right now. There's a great odd moment where I misread the cover art immensely, but apparently I'm not alone in that misreading, so I'm sort of relieved, and it is a gorgeous cover too. Plus, as always, we talk about what she's reading, and she has lots of recommendations. If you have ideas or questions or suggestions or you want me to ask somebody some questions on your behalf, this is an awesome plan. You should email me. Sound good? Okay. sbjpodcast at gmail.com or sarah with an H at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. They both get to me at the same place. So yeah, totally email me. You could also record a voice memo because you're going to sound great because you sound awesome. You can email me that if you want to just record a message. That also works. You should totally do that, by the way. You're going to sound terrific. But my point is, you sound great, and I want to hear from you, so please email me if you've got questions, ideas, or suggestions. Now, I have more exciting words that I'm really delighted to say in this intro. Um, this week's sponsor copy, I get to say some really awesome things, plus I'm going to tell you about the books in this anthology, and um, hello, catnip alert. This is just a whole intro of catnip, I think. All right. <clears throat> I will now attempt to be somewhat professional, which is not what you want, I know. Oh, great. And the cat is here. Chance of cat, 80%. Okay. I'm going to move my equipment around so Orville can flop over just in time for the sponsor. Nice one. Nice leisurely flop. Okay. Now, are you ready? Okay. This episode is brought to you by Christmas with My Cowboy by Diana Palmer, Lindsay McKenna, and Margaret Way. This is where it gets good. Get your jingle boots on with this sexy and heartwarming Christmas anthology from best-selling authors Diana Palmer, Lindsay McKenna, and Margaret Way featuring three irresistible cowboys in Christmas with my cowboy. Jingle boots! I love this so much. From the snowy wind-whipped prairie to the remote Australian outback, a cowboy's loving kiss makes this Christmas merry and bright. The warmth and joy of Christmas will be combined in these stories with vibrant ranch settings, alpha heroes being tamed by plucky adventurous heroines because tis the season for romance with Christmas with my cowboy available everywhere books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com now typically uh you'll see the copy the cover copy for the book with the rest of the information about the sponsor book in the podcast entry at smartpitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast but I want to share with you some of the details about these uh short story novellas because uh yeah you want to know about this so the first one is The Snowman by Diana Palmer. And this is the description. Meadow Dawson needs Santa to deliver a solution to her management of the Colorado ranch she has inherited. Cattleman Dow Blake just wants his pretty neighbor's dog to quit digging under his fence. I, I, I Okay, I, I am entirely understanding of this cattleman's problem. I also want the dog to stop digging under a fence, although it's my dog and my fence. The second one, Cassie's Cowboy by Lindsay McKenna, finds... A solitary former Marine rancher discovering his childhood sweetheart injured in her car just beyond the ranch 
during a snowstorm. Woohoo! They're stuck in the snow. There's a si snowy silent night. I love it. I love this. This is my favorite trope. Stuck in the snow. Because it's not perilous. As long as you've got, like, you know, blankets and water and the toilet works, you're okay. And the final one is Her Outback Husband by Margaret Way. Scott and Darcy MacArthur were the perfect couple. And then with one rumor, it ended in heartbreak. But Scott's mother has a scheme that will reunite them in the outback for a holiday that will prove it's the season for forgiveness. I love when the mom is like, I'm going to fix this, as opposed to I'm going to break them up, which is so often the, the other story that you would hear. Okay, so that is Christmas with my cowboy. And I want to thank Kensington Books for um, not only sponsoring this episode, but get letting me say the words jingle boots, because that has just made my day. I do not have a transcript sponsor for this episode. Will there be a transcript? Of course there will, because y'all are awesome. And I have news about Patreon. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to roll up my sleeves. You may have heard that they were changing their fee structure. Um, they made a big announcement. They were going to start charging the fee for transactions, which usually is what I would pay as the creator, and passing that fee back to the people who make individual pledges. And this was a terrible idea because this meant that people who pledged a dollar or three dollars, and there were very many of you, had an extra 30% added to your pledge. And that's not what you wanted, and that's not what I wanted either. Sounds terrible. As a result of that change, a number of you have canceled your pledges. And I just want you to know that I understand. I understand completely. I am so sorry about this change that Patreon had announced. But right before I sat down to record, which never happens, usually big things happen after I've done the production, Patreon has heard you and me and everyone else. And they are not going to change the fee structure. I have a link to their post about it. Basically, it says, we messed up and we're sorry. Yes, you did, and I'm glad you are. So Patreon is not going to be changing the fee structure to pass the transaction fees on to people who make pledges. And it seems that they are listening to the fact that the burden of the fee was much, much higher on pledges of a dollar or three dollars. And there were many of you. So Thank you, thank you, thank you, Patreon, for not doing the change that I thought was terrible. And if you reduced or eliminated your pledge, please know that I understand. A number of you have asked me for alternate methods, and I'm going to be working on that soon if you would like to support the show. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I'll have information, plus links and books and everything. But now I think I've talked enough. Let's do this podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Sonali Dev and as, as you can tell, I interrupt a lot and I have no basic conversation skills, but I do write, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do write uh, Bollywood style love stories. Um, so basically um, socially conscious romance um, that um, borders on women's fiction, I think would be the way to describe it. Um, does that sound right, Sarah? That does sound right. I've never heard you describe your books as socially conscious. That's really cool. How long have you been using that sort of descriptor? Or did somebody tell you that, that your books were too socially conscious and you were like, damn right they are? <laughs> like three seconds. I was just... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, that makes it sound, now this is going to be even harder <laughs> to sell books because that makes me sound like I'm preaching. Um, and, and I'm really not. What I usually describe them as um, is um, me exploring women's issues from around the world uh, while still indulging my faith in a happily ever after. So I love this plan. <laughs> this is a great plan. Don't let <laughs> anyone stop you with stupid labels. <laughs> Exactly. So they're about me. It indulges my, you know, because I believe in a happily ever after completely. But um, but I'm also uh, completely, you know, punched in the gut by a lot of stuff that um, people face around the world and especially women, I think. And so that's what my books are about. Brilliant. Now you have a new book out. This is the I worst have... question to ask any author. So tell tell us everything about your book. You can just start reading in chapter one and keep going until you finish. I'm kidding. I, I would actually do this. Because <laughs> I have writer friends who hate doing readings. And it's, I mean, I'll tell you, it's my favorite thing to do. Really? I actually, yeah, I could bore you to death. I would read my entire book to you if you let me. I love doing readings. It's just, I, I used to not always be like that. But I think once I kind of, because I read them um, aloud to myself for the mm -hmm. cadence and, you know, um, I think you just make more sense if you're pretending to read to someone else because you always make sense when you're talking to yourself. I don't know if that happens to everyone. No. Me, I, you know, I never argue with myself. I'm like, oh, you're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that's, that's really <laughs> funny. But when I'm reading it as though I'm reading it to someone um, and I'm being my own audience who is not me, uh, a lot of things become clearer. So it's not just the cadence and uh, the prose, but but what I'm saying and what the characters are saying actually um, makes sense or doesn't make sense in a different way. So I do always read um, my books aloud. Um, once they're complete. So that's my last thing I do in revision is read them aloud. And um, and I read them actually like dramatically. I read them with accents and voices and, you know, um, and so that just, and I love doing it. So I kind of, when I used to be nervous about um, reading to people, um, that's what I kind of told myself is that this is exactly what I'm doing now. There's real people listening and I, I totally ham it up. I love it. So, so I would actually read my book to you without, <laughs> you I am, have to ask me twice. So beware. <laughs> I am seriously hoping that maybe you would read some of it like right now, like tell about it and then read a couple pages from the beginning, because this sounds so amazing. And I cannot, I would love to hear this. Like you should sell tickets. <laughs> I do actually. Sometimes I think. Or you someone could. does. You uh, totally fine. should. So tell us about the book and then please read some. Please All read right. Sugar All Top. Right. Right. I will ask you more than twice. <laughs> you don't have to. All right. So uh, it's not out yet. Uh, it comes out uh, December 26th. So I think it's considered a 2018 book. And it's called A Distant Heart. And... Um, Amazingly enough, it is a Bollywood-style retelling of Rapunzel, uh, I guess would be the best way for me to describe it. Um, and I think that the, um, that the theme really is uh, this whole overprotection of women in society. I think that's the theme of Rapunzel, and that's what I mean by that retelling. But... Um, but there's uh, there's a more um, concrete form given to it because this is the story of uh, Kimmy, who is um, um, at the age of 12 diagnosed with a rare form of um, aplastic anemia. 
So she's basically, and she lives in Mumbai. Um, and for anyone who's not um, been to Mumbai, it isn't the best place in the world uh, to have any kind of immune deficiency. I mean, if you need something in Mumbai, you need uh, your immunity. So um, she lives in Mumbai and she's locked up in um, a sterile room for 12 years. Wow. And Rahul, the hero, is a servant in the home. Um, and it's a little more complicated than that. But he basically, um, you know, comes into the house um, um, to do his job. And so for 12 years, um, he's the only friend she has. He's uh, her eyes uh, to the outside world. And they develop this uh, friendship across that plastic curtain. And then uh, 12 years later, a uh, uh, cure comes and... Um, they have to find their way. She has to find her way in the real world because living in her uh, little bubble, she's still kind of been very much in the world because of technology, but she has to, um, you know, but it's still been, um, and you know, a, a view through a window. And then it's her finding her way through the real world, but it's really them um, finding their way across everything that separates them, I think, in society. Um that was not there in that closed room. So that's basically uh, what it is. And of course, there's also a crime plot because he's a cop now and he's protecting her <laughs> from this crazy gang lord. So there, there, there's that angle to it also. But This is a book that it deals with organ black, black market organ transplant. I have a bunch of questions about that. But this book yeah. is connected to a change of heart, but you don't have to read a change of heart to read this book. Is that right? You don't have to. Um, naturally, you know, I mean, it, it would only add to the experience. So they are both standalone stories, but they're very much connected. Uh, they are almost two sides of the same story in a way uh, because they center around that same organ black market ring. Um, and, and the gang lord is, uh, you know, is the is basically the same um uh, the same person who was run, who runs the, who, who steals, basically kills people to steal their organs. Oi. Um, that's what, you know, yeah, that's what the black market, <laughs> organ black market means. So, no. so yes, it is, uh, it, it's centered around that. Amazingly enough, uh, with that dark core, it is not as dark of a book as A Change of Heart. And, and the reason I think for that is that Kimmy, as uh, a protagonist, is a much more optimistic, choosing to be happy, let me at the world kind of heroine. So the tone of the book is different. Now, I am very curious. What led you to write about black market organ or the, the black market around organs? Like What led, what led you to read, write, write about that twice? Um, so the twice thing is actually an easier question to answer. It's just that the story had these two love stories, mm -hmm. you know, that that kind of um, were seeded in this um, in the story of the black market rings. So that was natural enough. It wasn't like I said, oh, this is so exciting that I want to write two books about it. But it was that these two, these four people were all connected to it. And so there were these two stories uh, that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. So that's why the two. Now, how the black market actually came along um, is so. So I started after I had written Bollywood Bride. Um, I started to write. So, so a change of heart was actually supposed to be um, prequel almost to Bollywood Bride. So it was going to be. So Nikhil and Jen are two doctors without borders doctors who are who get married in Bollywood Bride, and I was uh, I sat down to write their story. 
because they met, uh, you know, they have this whole story where they met um, on mission in Afghanistan and how they met and all of that. And that's, that's what I started to write. But um, once I started to write them, they were characters who basically put themselves in danger all the time for their cause. Um, and um, just as a matter of course, with them putting themselves in that kind of danger over and over again, um, this just happened. I, I have no other way to explain it <laughs> except to say that it just um, it, it just happened. Jen was working at a clinic in the slum uh, in Mumbai. It's called Dharavi. It's one of the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest undocumented um, slums in the world. And well, the slum is not undocumented, but the people who live there are. And um, and she's working in a clinic there, and she chances upon this um, this weird stuff going on around her uh, patients, where you know people are going missing, and um, and she's been working on an organ donor registry, um, and it, it it kind of she chances upon this black market, and then she is warned off, and she doesn't listen, and then she's murdered before Nikhil's eyes. And this literally just happened as I was writing. And then I was completely stumped. And for six months, I kind of didn't write because I had no idea what What do, do I do now that my heroine has died? Has died. And, and I think a little bit of that came from the fact that, um, you know, we write happily ever after, right? And, um, and, and we know I mean, a part of us knows that there is that and a part of us knows that there is not always that. It's not that simple. And I think that um, as a writer or as a person, um, you know, um, as a mom and a wife, I think that that whole wanting to see what really uh, happens if we believe all our lives in something and in a moment it's gone, what happens? And I think Change of Heart for me was that, that we talk about hope and, we, you know, in romance, especially we talk about hope and love and then what happens after that book closes and if that goes away what happens and that was kind of i think that mixed with um with what happened to jen uh was where change of heart came from so it wasn't um amazingly enough it wasn't that um the black market spawned these stories but it was almost like these stories led into you know into that particular social evil because she's working in a place so rife with social right. evil if that makes and sense. she's doing a very small amount of good each day to try to counteract an enormous amount of evil. Exactly. And both of them are. And that's Nick Hill's angle. That's the hero's angle that he believes so wholly in it. And then when it's gone so violently, it goes away like he stops believing in it overnight. Right. right? So when the book starts, it's like he's lost something he totally believes. He's lost everything he totally believes in. And it's that journey back from Right, there. because at that point in that book, his, his, his grief is very much mired in the idea of, well, what's the point? I have no point now. Yeah, this is all bullshit. You know, what yeah. they tell us is all wrong and all of that. What he's, you know, uh, been taught all his life is wrong. But, you know, I just remember, remembered. Uh, it, it, the, you asked me why these two stories. So weirdly enough, what was going to happen and, um, you know, uh, with Nikhil's story was that Kimmy was the heroine uh, of for him that I had because he's lost everything and Kimmy's the one who actually... Um, you know, oh gosh, spoiler alert, can I do spoilers? So so Kimmy has is a heart transplant recipient. 
and she was going to be the one who uh, got Jen's heart. And uh, so that was going to be the story. The, the, you know, it was going to be a love story between the girl who got his wife's heart and, you know, his lo- losing right. his wife. So that's kind of where this started. But he is from a very loving very privileged family. Um, so, so he's basically, in my mind, he's, um, his, his cracks are surface cracks. So all of this is, so he's pretty solid on the inside. He's basically just having a meltdown um, and unable to deal with this, this darkness that happened to him. Right. So, so he's, uh, he's not really broken on the inside, if you know what I mean, um, because he's, he's had, he's had this great upbringing. He has the foundation. And Kimmy is like that too. Despite all of this awful stuff that happens to her, she on the inside is not broken. She's been, you know, I mean, her everybody around her and her entire world revolves around keeping her safe and alive. In fact, she calls it, she calls it Project Kaka in in the book and it's keep ailing Kimmy alive it's an acronym (laughs) so her whole world is basically focused on project kaka (laughs) do you know that kaka in spanish is like a colloquial term for poop (laughs) it is it is in uh in now i don't know which exact indian language it's but uh, we we say more <laughs> kaka, but, but ah, it's the same thing. Universal. Yes. We call it the same thing. So it's Project <laughs> Poop, and it's feeling like, Kimmy alive. So <laughs> so she is. Um, she's basically also, and that gives you an idea that she's not really broken on the inside. She has some tough challenges, but she's not. So then I had these two characters who were you know, basically um, not broken on the inside. And for for Nick Hill to come out of something that dark, um, I felt like when, you know, when I had them on the paper that there was, you know, there there was nothing to pull him out of his darkness, um, really. And and that's where, and and Jess was actually, you know, just a side character and, um, you know, who they use. who the villain is using and she was the one who was dark enough for him to realize you know that he's being a baby almost and f- so he had to have something darker to pull him back toward his own brightness yes does that make sense and that's kind of how those two stories then split out i had kimmy and she was this fabulous vibrant character who had a story but she was not the heroine for him and then i had to go and tell her story and kind of rahul was um was there so that's a very long drawn out answer to your simple question. No, it's a really interesting answer. So I ended up with a character who was just not the right fit for him. And so she got her own hero in a different book. So what led you yeah. to the black market for transplant organs? Is that something that you read about or that you that you saw when you were doing research? How It's so interesting because... It's both completely evil, and yet there are people who are desperate for organs. 
Yes, and um, and a few things actually. Um, I think many many years ago, I remember from when I was very young. I remember seeing news stories about it, uh, especially things like kidney theft and stuff. Um, I think it was pretty common to see news stories about it. At least in India, it was. And I remember almost uh, twenty years ago, even here, there was. Uh, you know, there was. I don't know if it was just. Oh, right. Where you wake up in a bathtub, bathtub full of ice and your, one of your kidneys is gone. Yes. 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 So there was a lot of that kind of thing. And I think, you know, that combined with stories about organ black market rings that I had read growing up and all of that, I knew it was a thing. And it feels almost to me like it is as evil a thing as you can do. Right. I mean, it's the theft itself is, is, is a really evil because you're, Basically, it's it's as violating as anything. You're taking away what is not yours and is someone else's, right? I mean, it, it seems like it's at the heart of everything. Colonization is theft and slavery is theft at different levels. But almost all crime seems to have this taking what does not belong to you. Um, it, you know, seems to me the greatest violence, right? And so take that to something like a, a body part <laughs> just makes it... Um, I can't think of anything almost more evil than that, right, to take without permission. And then when you add uh, pathos to it, because there's also a lot of stories where people will, um, you know, you're poor enough and you sell it, it becomes mm-hmm. a currency. So it's, you know, there's a lot uh, going on, on on the darker side of it, but on the brighter side of it, organ donation. And I have one of my closest friends actually works um, for um, a nonprofit that works with um, with donors. I think it's Gift of Life, Um in Michigan, and they do some amazing work. So there was her telling, you know, her stories of the lovely work they do, and and I think all of that combined, it just kind of plays on your subconscious, and then that's and it comes up when you tell stories. I think that's where it's and it's from. it's a you have people who are who are stealing organs or or selling them, but that organ is going into someone else so that they can live. So it's like a terrible happy ending yes. for one person and a terrible ending for someone else that's very unhappy. Yes, I can see why this would be really alluring to write about. How is this the heart of the book, no pun intended? <laughs> I love the pun if it were intended. But um, yes, yeah, so I think another thing that I deal with a lot in my books yes. is families and um, parental love. Um and and the things that we will do um, for our children and those we love, and uh, and basically the entire book is about you know what does love mean because Kimmy's backstory is that uh, her parents uh, who are both uh, very successful her father is the chief minister of one of the states in India uh, so he's extremely politically powerful he was uh, a huge Bollywood superstar her mother was a big star so she comes from great amounts of privilege and success and even back before that they come from uh, you know sugarcane farming so there's this big history of there's this long familial history of uh, of um, you know wealth and excess and privilege and um and despite that, so that these are people who are not right, used and, to not having their way. And they can't fix this. I'm talking about her parents. And, and well, they've had, uh, and they very, they both also have uh, backstories for which they really mm-hmm. badly want want a family. And um, oh, her mother has seven miscarriages. She's unable to carry a child to term. So really, they, they are like, they will do 
anything. It is there's this whole you know they've they've done pilgrimages to every holy site and every religion. Like they will do anything, every treatment, and that's basically how she is conceived and born. Um, so so there's so her her very mm-hmm. life has started like that, where it's. We will do anything for this child, anything. And and when we say that about loved ones, what does that mean is why this is, you know, is the heart mm-hmm. of the story. What does that mean um, when you say that I will do anything for you? Will you, you know, um, will you let someone else die? Um, and, and basically that's the question. And um, and, and that's, the, that's the ending question between Rahul and her father also. And um, also, again, spoiler alert, but, um, but, but, she learns through the course of the book that, you know, what the meaning of love is and, uh, you know, and sometimes it's not, um, it's, uh, it's knowing where to draw the line and living in today. Right. And um, being okay with the fact that this person is here today because life and death is just part of life. And it's also an incredible amount of, uh, I want to say gender expectation sort of built into the idea that if you have, uh, a woman whose child is being threatened, then most of the time that story is portrayed as that woman can do whatever she needs to protect her child. Like it's all going to be in the eyes of the audience, redeemable and forgivable because that's, you know, that's her, that's her expected role to sacrifice everything for her child. If you're a woman. And that sort of gets extended to fathers too more and more. What will you do for your child? Will you kill another person? And is it okay because you have this altruistic end point? It, 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 it makes it a very difficult redemption story. Absolutely. And and uh, her parents both, when she gets, so A, when they have her, how they react to right. finally getting what they wanted um, and how they react to then being the threat, this constant looming threat of losing her because she's so sick. Um, and, and you know, there's so little hope um, for a cure. The way the mother and the father deal with right. it is completely different. And that's a large part of the book. Um, and, and you're very right. Um, there's, uh, it's, it's a very gender yes. specific what they choose to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I had never thought of that that way, but it's um, it's absolutely true. I mean, I think uh, I had also never thought of in an Indian family, um, you know, this is a daughter and it really does not matter to them because this is a child. So that, I think, was a little bit uh, conscious, but the fact that the, the two parents um, basically, um, you know, their journeys in how they handle uh, that loss and that threat to their child is completely different. Now, you mentioned earlier that this was not as dark and angsty as a change of heart. Um, Partially, it seems because Kimmy is a very positive person. So does she and and her romance, are they more uplifting? Is it, it, it sounds like it has this incredibly emotional core with really positive and optimistic characters carrying the story. Does that sound about right? I think so. I think absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but but I would not say it's not angsty because all my stories are angsty, right? I mean, angst is, I think, the heart of romance for me. <laughs> it's like, it, you know, so, so definitely angsty. And Rahul uh, is definitely, a, you know, uh, has um, some 
dark uh, issues going on, but it's not um, it's not not dark in the way change of heart is uh, because you're exactly right. Jess is basically in her own mind a ruined character. She's completely broken, and um, and she she's okay with that. At this point in the book, she has no, I mean, at, at when change of heart happens, she has no choice but to, mm-hmm. to go with it. You know, I'm broken, but I've got to be present. And that's just the way the world is. Um, Kimmy is the exact opposite of that, right? Kimmy is like, for one, she's been waiting all her life to live. So she has this voracious appetite mm-hmm. for living when she gets out, when she's in there, because when she's in there, She's collecting, gathering all of this stuff up. Uh, you know, basically, she's gathering life up to the best of her ability, sitting in a room. And then when she comes out, it's all this pressure that's built up. And she's completely promised herself that this is going to be for, you know, she's going to live literally every second. So she has this amazing uh, zest for life. And 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 she's, um, you know, she's totally delightful. And she's a clown. And she sees you know, these, everything is fabulous and she's excited by every little thing. She's excited by this little auto rickshaw, you know? <laughs> so she kind of wants to hug the doorman. Like she's just thrilled with everything. And, um, and, and I think that that spirit of hers has what has kept Rahul going through the time, you know, of his childhood that things were really dark. Um, but, but it was something that he could shut up, like a book he could close when he left that, you know, when he left her mansion. But now when they're both out in the real world, he is, that's not his view of the world. And this is her view of the world. And, um, and so, so there's that disconnect, but she's, um, you know, she's absolutely um, um, somebody who will not be put down. And that's absolutely the reason why, um, why it's not a dark book. In that sense. I wanted to ask you about the cover. You first showed me the cover of this book, I think, a long time ago. I think we were we were at an event together. But I remember we did a signing at a bookstore, and I think you showed me a, a preview of the cover that it had just um, – you'd just gotten a picture of it. The cover is really evocative because she's sitting in this sort of pink um, gown that's all sort of bunched up around her, her knees – and her feet are just about to touch the water, but she has ankle bracelets on that look very suggestive, like her ankles are bound together almost. Is that is that imagery on purpose, or am I reading too much into this? I'm reading too much in. Okay, right? I have to say, <laughs> no, you're not. But this makes me laugh because, uh, because. Okay, so anklets are a huge part of Indian culture. And, of course. Uh, and, and a part of the Indian dress. And they are considered very feminine and very demure. I have a theory. Um, I don't know if it's a proven theory, but I think that women were, you know, anklets were put on women so you could follow their, uh, you know, um, follow Sound. their movements around, yeah, around the house. So it might have been, but of course, that's not what it is. It has also then grown like all jewelry to have a sensual, feminine, you know, of fun aspect. It's part of dancing. It jingles when you know you dance. So it's this. Um, it's this. Uh, it's the. Uh, well, the you know bondage now. 
female bondage in in knowing where your daughter or your daughter-in-law is around the house is one thing but it's really (laughs) funny how romance authors are i mean romance readers are probably the only people who look at that cover and go oh my gosh is it bondage those look like cuffs <laughs> this is entirely my brain, and my no, brain could just be being an offensive jerk. But it's, it's no, also the position no. of her legs. Her legs are are like she's almost afraid to touch the water. I, no, it's not. You. It's not just me. Oh, thank w- God. What's weird is it's not just you. So many people have looked at that cover and said, "Are those uh, are those cuffs?" And it always makes me laugh because it's like such a thing that no Indian person would think, eh? And um, and it's so almost opposite to what anklets kind of stand for. But and I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself with the uh, with the other bondage thing, but, but it's but you know bondage isn't uh, is is a different thing in terms of uh, romance. So it's it always uh, makes me laugh. But all the other parts of what you are saying, I think, are uh, absolutely on target because um, I'm like I feel like I should apologize for being an idiot. I, no, you're not being an idiot, and you're you know I mean everybody looked at that and went, are those cuffs? And I was like, are those what? It did not even enter my mind like not for a second that someone would think anklets are cuffs but then when you look at it a certain way it's like yeah you might be right but I think what they were going for so so when they did say to me that we're going you know we want it not to be the henna right. bangles and you know been these kind of cover I was actually excited because um because this book is my first book um uh, that is set entirely in India. Oh, so the entire book, in fact, is set in Mumbai, uh, in one suburb of Mumbai that I grew up in. There is a short trip they take, um, you know, to Hong Kong, but other than that, the book is entirely set in this, um, in this one suburb, and there's a very strong reason for for it. But um, so, even though it is set in India, this is my least cultural book if you will and um i don't know if that makes sense but but so there's no weddings uh there's you know you're there it's like when you're in india it's almost um like uh, in this migrant thing you almost have to not do indian things because you're in india you know what i mean mm-hmm. everything is is kind of indian and um almost all of my friends and cousins in india don't really wear those many saris or silver kameezas. This is just my little, you know, uh, circle. And they're amused that we still wear, because here you're trying hard to hold on to culture in some ways. And the first books being Indian American, you know, there's a lot of, there's some of that. So this is the least cultural. It's just a story in, in that sense. So so it would have been really weird to have henna and saris and you know bangles in this book because she never puts a sari on she's you know never um really thinking in those terms mm-hmm. there's no wedding going on none of that so it would have been really weird so i was very very excited because it's just a story and it's uh, it's a very accessible story in my mind not that the others are not mm-hmm. but it would have been weird to have one of those covers for this one. So that made me very, uh, very excited. Um, and and I think also in terms of colors, they wanted this more women's fiction, uh, uh, contemporary kind of uh, feel to it, which is what those colors definitely do. Um, and I think that the, the, the whole 
you know, feet over water thing is about anticipation, right? When, you know, you're so close to the water, but your feet are not in it, that kind of thing. So you're absolutely right. It's this. Oh, totally. It's breaking through a boundary. Like the the surface tension of the water is similar to the plastic bowl that she lives in. Exactly. Exactly. So there is that, you know, if there's that, it, it was meant to suggest yearning. It was meant to suggest, um, needing to break free so that's kind yes. of you know and and the uh, cover artists always i think um atmospherically in all books do capture what um the story it's a means beautiful to cover it's a really beautiful cover thank you you know it's interesting listening to you talking about um the book being set entirely in in mumbai with i actually learned this in a really interesting marketing podcast um that we as humans feel favorable towards things that are familiar. And so if we see someone's face, just even in passing in a crowd, and then we see that person again, we will feel favorable, positive associations with that person just because they look familiar. And that works very much so in marketing. Um, And it's one of the strongest arguments, for example, for uh, advertising the cover of your book. Like you can do a lot of imagery, but what you really want to do with with advertising a book is to reinforce the cover image so that when a reader sees that cover in a sea of book covers on a computer screen or in a bookshelf, it looks familiar and that positive association drives them to pick up that book because they don't realize that it's familiar because they saw it on the sidebar of a really cool website called Smart Pitches. <laughs> but, but that familiarity breeds positive association. You're, but at the you're same time, right. yeah. But at the same time, you have to, when you're packaging this book, you have to make that bridge between this is something uh, unique and still, unfortunately, uh, unique in that it takes place outside of the United States in a contemporary setting in Mumbai. I don't. I'm trying to think if I have read a romance set entirely. I mean, I've read some of your books, and I've read other books that were set in parts of India, but I don't think I've ever read one set in Mumbai. So you have to bridge that, oh, this is something new and interesting and different. And at the same time, there is a familiar center, the heart, as we were talking about, the heart is the same. It's yeah, th- so That's I'll, really hard. It, I it empathize is, is what I'm that, trying to say here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep on interrupting you, but I know I'm going to forget to say this. So please um, do. So first, um, before I forget, Suleika Snyder has, uh, has I think, almost an entire Bollywood series set uh, in Mumbai. Uh, so she has, I'm trying to remember um, the name. Is it Bollywood and the Beast? Is that one set in Bollywood Mumbai? And the, Bollywood and the Beast is one of them. And uh, there is, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pull up my Kindle. Uh, there is... There's Bollywood and, and the Beast is not the only move, uh, only one. Um, oh gosh, um, darn it! <laughs> Spice Don't and worry. Secrets, I think. Spice and Secrets is also set there. So she has a few books that are set uh, set in Mumbai. So I don't want want to act like I'm the only one. And that that truly uh, of the ones um, published here, those are the uh, you know. Uh, that's those are the only ones that I have read. Uh, of course, there is a whole homegrown um, romance industry where the books are all set in India. Of course, but um, but this one is, and you're absolutely right. I think um, uh, that is um, that's the whole trick, right? In marketing or selling anything, mm-hmm. and it's not just my kind of romance, but to be but to be un- unique and accessible at the exact same time. 
right? Yep. Which is uh, which is a tightrope walk because you don't want anyone walking away from it saying um, this isn't for me, and um, you know you don't want anyone saying oh my gosh the same thing again. Right. Yeah. So I most certainly don't have one of those problems, <laughs> but I do have uh, the other problem. And that's always, um, you know, that's always a, um, a marketing challenge. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I'll take um, the uniqueness has certainly served me well. So I won't complain that much no. about the other one because it's, you know, it's one step at a time. But I will say um, that, you know, that while it's sad that we have to make these considerations, um, while uh, selling, I haven't, I've been lucky enough to not have to make those considerations while writing yet. And I hope. Oh, that is a good thing. You are right. <laughs> yes. And I hope that I don't have to. And I have to tell you uh, uh, this little story about my editor. Um, and um, it, it's, he's so amazing, Martin Biro at uh, Kensington. And we were in New York um, having lunch. So we were walking from, I think, from the Kensington offices to lunch. And the day before that, I had just suddenly realized, oh, my gosh, he doesn't know that this book is entirely because this was, you know, contracted as part of a two book deal. And he didn't really know what the book was about. And uh, I had spoken with my agent and said, oh, my gosh, I don't think that I've mentioned to Martin that this book is entirely set in Mumbai. Do you think it's something I should mention? And she kind of paused and said, "Um, yeah, I definitely think that's something you should run by him. And so we're walking and we're having a conversation and he's saying something to me. So imagine us kind of, you know, doing the brisk New York walk across the streets. Of yes. And and I say to him, oh, Martin, before I forget, um, I wanted to tell you that um, I don't know if you know, but A Distant Heart is set entirely in Mumbai. And he kind of, you know, doesn't even pause. He goes, oh, yeah, that's great. And then goes back to talking about what he was talking about which was such a fabulous moment in my life as a writer. Um, It's just really hard to explain. Like he didn't even pause. He didn't ask another question about it. It was such a non-issue to him. He said, oh, that's fabulous. And then he went on. And he's been like that uh, with, you know, across these four stories. I, whatever I wanted to write about, he always had 100% faith in it. So Kensington never tried to, you know, do hit the marketing end, uh, you know, hit me with a marketing stick at the writing end. And I think that's really, really been such a gift. (laughs) Hit me with the, hit me with the marketing stick in the writing end. Yeah. Is so, you know, you you should be a writer because that's really evocative. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so that was, um, you know, I totally consider myself um, blessed for being able to write whatever the heck I want to write and it doesn't um Mm -hmm. you know it's not um I don't know I mean I'm um I the the setting um and the culture it's who I am it's not something that I can really plan so right of course is there uh is there food in this book how much food are we talking about like on a scale of one to food porn where are we here I think this one isn't that much about food and that's the other thing right I mean they're just uh you know nobody is cooking to hold on to their culture like we were doing right so that's so it's there they have yeah um, there's a there's a whole lot of spice grinding going on so there's that (laughs) that sounds quite suggestive and sexy i am on board for that that's a little bit of false advertising i don't know that it's that sexy but i think it's a little bit um sexy maybe (laughs) but but i will say my next book 
which doesn't come out for another year. Uh, he is a chef, and the entire book is oh born. shit. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so that one so is just that... all food. I, I swear, I gained ten pounds just writing that book, or maybe twenty. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! Now I have to go eat a souffle. <laughs> oh no! Poor you for research too. <laughs> yes, that was actually one of my questions. What are you working on? What What is next? Please tell me about this. What's this? What's this book? Mm, yes, food. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, completely. Uh, I think completely different again from um, these um, th- these first four. And this one is set in the Bay- the San-, San Francisco Bay Area, and it's about a politically ambitious Indian family that believes that their uh, oldest son is going to be the first Indian American president of the country. And uh, this series of books is set in um, during the gubernatorial campaign. His, so it starts with him making the announcement and then it goes through these four books where, uh, you know, through the election. But that's just the backdrop of it. And they are, they happen to be Indian royals. So this is a part of the Indian, you know, this is basically uh, an Indian royal family that's migrated to America. So... (laughs) So there's this wow. whole, uh, whole angle of wealth and privilege um, and social agenda running through it uh, a little bit, because I think we read a lot of immigrant stories of how everyone is sad that they're an immigrant. So I wanted to talk about the other side of it, which is that it comes at least being in, uh, you know, c- certain kind of immigrant comes also with some amount of privilege and success and and whilst while you're still an outsider and how you reconcile that uh if you don't really feel like an outsider so that's the that's the backdrop of the books um but this first book is almost like um a flipped around pride and prejudice so she is uh she's the mr darcy so she is a neurosurgeon at stanford has uh never known um you know, wanting something and not getting it, that whole, you know, um, complete complete entitlement uh, kind of place that she's coming from. And that makes her arrogant and makes her see the world, you know, around her a little bit uh, skewed. And he is a black British chef who was raised in South England, uh, which is almost 98% Indian Punjabi. <laughs> so he has this really weird, what you see is not what you get um, kind of, person Mm -hmm. so he spins prejudice on its head almost because when you look at him everything you assign to him is not really what he is in any way um and he's here because she is treating his sister who's an artist and about to lose her eyesight and so his um he's pushing um trisha to do more than she wants to take more risks, that kind of thing. So it's almost this, um, this, this pressure on her um, thinking she is all that, and him thinking, uh, yeah, you're not all that if you let my sister lose her eyesight, kind of thing. So um, there's that. And she's the Elizabeth Bennett character. He is the Elizabeth Bennett character. Excuse me, she he is. is. Wow. Yeah, she is the Darcy. So that's kind of. Um, that's kind of uh, been so much fun to write um, because it's it's um, it's much more family saga in the sense of we do get to really get inside of this family and um, and they're um, it's an extended family so the, there are four siblings and then two cousins and um, it's it's um, um, basically yeah their stories 
Oh, when is when are those coming out? Are those do those have release dates or are those in progress right now? Um, so I think that the first one um, comes out either late 2018 or early 2019. Wow, this is amazing. Yes, and I'm really excited. And it's sitting with my editor right now. So she might come back and say, oh, my gosh, this is all crap. And I might have to rewrite it. <laughs> but are, you, so, are, you with a, are you with a new house now? Yes. Uh, and this <gasps> is with, oh. these books are with a new house. They're with uh, William Morrow. So they're with HarperCollins. So new editor, new everything. So I'm excited. That is very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much. My, I always ask this question. Um, and I forgot to prepare you for it, so I'm a horrible person. But Uh-oh. what are you? What have you read lately that you want to tell people about? What are some of the things that you've read that you want to make sure people know about? Oh, that's I'm a horrible an easy person. One. You're not at all horrible. That's my favorite question. And yes. uh, do you okay, have good. another hour to go? <laughs> go ahead. It's the internet. We haven't run out of room yet. Go ahead. That's fabulous. Um, so I have to mention first, um, Alicia Rai. Everything she writes, I love. But her new series, uh, The Hate to Want You. I always call it The Hate You Give. And then I have to go back and correct myself. So Hate to Want You was fabulous. <laughs> but Wrong it to really Need was. You. Have you read it yet? I have been saving it because it comes out this month and I am afraid that if I read it too far in advance, since we're recording this in November, I'm afraid that if I read it too far in advance, I will start squeeing and, um, well, people won't be able to buy it and they'll be mad. I, I want to read it so, so I'm, yeah, I think I have to just go ahead it's and do it. It's delicious. And, uh, I mean, it, you know, I mean, I loved the first one and the first one was really angsty and everything, but I think in terms of memorability of characters, which is always, um, which is always, uh, you know, for me really, really important in, uh, in romance is, mm-hmm. uh, is how, in how much detail I remember these books and um, and Jackson and uh, Sadia are just, I think, really, really memorable because they're so real. Uh, and it's it's my crack, basically. It's it's you know, <laughs> it, it's just a hero who's loved the heroine for a very long time. And oh, that is totally my my catnip yeah, too. That is utterly my catnip, isn't it? And and he is your perfect knight. And nice guy heroes are my other catnip. Um, you know, say what you will about alpha holes. I, they don't do anything for me. It's the good guys. It's the guys who care about the families and the guys. You who and me like both. Yeah, right? Dudes who are relentlessly <laughs> decent and kind yes. and have and just Jackson this. Ab- is. Oh, yeah. Yes. Everything yeah. that's relentlessly decent and kind. And he's just fabulous. And he's hot and he's big and he's just. and when he showed up when he showed up in the middle of the night in hate to want you i was like who is this guy and you know i don't know how she did it but i was reading it and i did actually text her i said the next book better be about jackson (laughs) and i knew like there was no this thing but you knew instantly that the or i knew instantly that was up there oh yeah something's up there yeah, yeah. And it sure is. So it's and it almost kind of, um, you know, had that same vibe um, as um, Kristen Higgins' uh, Next Best Thing. Remember the one in which? Yes, he's, because he's her brother-in-law. So uh, there's, uh, you know, there's some of that same. And I had really enjoyed that book, too. So um, so it kind of reminded me of that. It's just 
they're both great books and i really enjoyed uh jackson and sadia's story wrong to need you and another one that i recently read um so so all these years i've been thinking i have not read um enough latino romance right Mm-hmm. And uh, this um, this fall, we had Take the Lead by Alexis Daria. Did you read that one? Because, I have not. Oh, my gosh. She is so talented. I would totally watch out for her. She's so funny and light and, um, and has this fabulous sincerity uh, in her writing. You know, like there are just some authors that you can actually like, see them like across the um you know across the story like it's their hearts in that story and i think that um she writes like that where there's this lovely sincerity where she's really found her voice and the story she wants to tell so it's take the lead is lovely it's set on uh the set of dancing with the stars uh, i don't know if she calls it that in here but she is a pro um and uh, she's puerto rican and she's uh the pro and he is uh he's an alaskan survivalist as you do <laughs> so, do right and his family is one of those uh, reality tv uh living in alaska surviving you know by their wits kind of um, reality shows and he is this dark brooding of course has tons of secrets doesn't really want to be doing that and then here he is dancing on this show <laughs> and then and she can't they you know she doesn't want to be the stereotypical uh latina dancer who gets involved with everyone she dances of with course kind of and so you know she does go there a little bit and um and it's really very very well written again uh a nice guy hero uh just really really decent and hot <laughs> so it's it's fabulous and it's very well written and um i i really enjoyed it i have the arc for the next one haven't read it yet but um but again, it was one of those things. This had better be Natasha's story kind of thing. So it was. Uh, so loved that. Loved her. I'm really looking for, um, you know, forward to what she does. And there was another, um, also Puerto Rican heroine, and um, I think it was called her Perfect Partner. Yes. Um, and that's by Priscilla uh, Oliveras, and that is also really lovely. A little bit more. Um, family um family man um you know and she and her sisters and her parents kind of thing so a little more women's fictiony and sweet but really well written and very very nice too nice that, yeah and i could go on as, as i said but i have to mention nalini singh's uh silver silence because i was hoping she's not done with the changelings and i absolutely loved the bears so i Can you... you know i don't say that in in terms of sports, but I say that in terms of <laughs> so not that I have anything against bears, but no, of course. If you are curious about Silver Silence and you haven't read the rest of the series, I've read some of it. So, for a reader who's never read the series, do you think you could enter at Silver Silence and know what's going on? Oh, I, uh, you know, I'm so deeply entrenched in that series, but I think you could. <laughs> yes. I think you could. Um, in fact, um, yeah, I mean, I totally think you could, um, because yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of a single reason. It's not, you know, the whole, the war, the post war almost, right. I mean, post, um, silence falling and everything. So, uh, 
she she does a pretty good job of explaining where we're at in the story and there are, there are characters who show up who are from you know the previous book but there's so many characters in those books that you kind of you know you you learn to go with not knowing exactly who someone is and then she brings you back into it yes. so i totally think you could um you you know you could read start there absolutely and he again is a you know great nice guy alpha <laughs> so oh. you as you can see you sense a, a yeah, there's a theme yeah. there's a theme here yeah, <laughs> yeah. i see that well, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention? I have plenty of audio to craft an excellent podcast. Thank you so much. Um, this is fabulous. Um, let me see. Since we were talking about marketing, I'm going to talk about a couple things that I've been doing that I hope, uh, you know, the, the listeners might be interested in. Please one do. Thank you, Sarah. And one of the things is uh, that um, I do this the, uh, this um, virtual signing series. So they're basically interviews with other romance authors, um, where you can you have you watch them live, and of course I put them up on YouTube after you watch them live. And as you're watching, you can send in questions, and you can buy signed books. And oh, cool! Had, um, yeah, we've had. I think we just shot our eighth episode. And uh, we've had Julia Quinn, Beverly Jenkins. Uh, we just had uh, Molly Cox Bryan. Uh, the next person on is Sally Kilpatrick. And then Kristen Higgins is on in January. And if you follow me on social media, you'll know what's coming up. And all of the past episodes are on my website. So there's that we're doing. And, of course, we try to kind of, you know, talk about um, – everything we love about romance, but also all of, you know, all of the agency and, um, you know, the the feminist issues that we handle in there. We try to kind of get into the um, smarter aspects of romance, I think, that um, that get overlooked. But we also have a lot of fun and talk a lot about, you know, doing the nasty <laughs> and all of that. That's very so, so cool. So it's a lot of fun. I, I personally have a lot of fun doing them. I match my clothes to the book covers. And so we do, we have a lot of, you know, fun uh, there. There's that. And, um, and, and then, um, you know, being somebody who writes, I think, you know, somewhat hot, but also these stories that are, um, you know, that kind of pushed, uh, push into the, um, I hate the term women's fiction, but, you know, I like to say mainstream fiction, but that push into the women's fiction side, we have a group of 11 authors like that who have a Facebook group called uh, Fiction from the Heart. Um, And we all kind of, we really don't do any of the marketing pushing of our books, but we really just talk about ourselves and other books Mm -hmm. and kind of loving reading and things like that. So and that's a great bunch of ladies. I mean, I think Barbara Samuel, uh, Falguni Kothari, um, oh gosh, um, KM Jackson, um, and I could go through all, I should go through all 11, but I'm going to bleep out Virginia Cantra, uh, Hope Ramsey, Priscilla Oliveras, um, whom did I miss? Liz Talley, and uh, gosh, and if you go on there, you'll see the rest. But since I min- mentioned Falguni, I have to also go back and say her book uh, comes out in January and uh, it's called My Last Love Story and it is absolutely fabulous. Really? It's it's this Yes, uh it is uh it's it's the strangest almost 
polyamorous story, which is kind of weird because it's uh, I, it's not even really a love triangle. It's basically um, a, a story of these three friends who were friends back in India. It's set here again in California. Um, and uh, it's these three friends who had this amazing connection, two boys and a girl. And uh, both the guys were in love with her, but she dated one of them. But their, their, their bond is really strong ac- across all three of them. Mm-hmm. And her husband is dying of cancer. Oh. And their third best friend is in to help them. And it's how that whole, you know, three-way love dynamic um, shakes beautiful and it comes out i think january 26th and it's definitely a must read and that brings me to the end of this episode thank you to sonali dev for hanging out with me and talking about your book and your cover and what you're reading if you are looking for links to any of the books that we mentioned during this episode or links to the other and uh things that she talked about they are in the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast This episode is brought to you by Christmas with My Cowboy by Diana Palmer, Lindsay McKenna, and Margaret Way. And I get to say the following sentence my entire day is made. Are you guys ready? Get your jingle boots on with this sexy and heartwarming Christmas anthology from best-selling authors Diana Palmer, Lindsay McKenna, and Margaret Way featuring three irresistible cowboys in Christmas with My Cowboy. Jingle boots! (sighs) Seriously, day made. From the snowy, wind-whipped prairie to the remote Australian outback, a cowboy's loving kiss makes this Christmas merry and bright. The warmth and joy of Christmas will be combined in these stories with vibrant ranch settings and alpha heroes being tamed by a plucky, adventurous heroine. Tis the season for romance with Christmas with my cowboy. Available everywhere books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. I now need jingle boots. There is no question I need jingle boots. Now... As I mentioned in the beginning, but I'm going to repeat again. Yay! Patreon has changed their decision. They had announced they were going to be passing the transaction fees from the creators, that would be me, onto the people making the pledges, which would be you, which was a terrible idea because if you were a person who pledged a dollar or three dollars, all of a sudden your pledge was going up 30%, and even more if you were making international transactions. So I know that a number of you canceled your pledges, and I want you to know I completely understand, and I am sorry about their decision And I am completely on your side and I empathize entirely with your position. However, please know Patreon has heard you and heard me and heard everyone else that was like, dude, what are you doing? And they're not rolling out the fee structure changes. I have a link to their post about it where they say, we're sorry and we messed up, which, you know, is kind of rare. It's for a company to be like, yeah, 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 we, we, we made a mistake. Mm. As Courtney Milan pointed out, it would always be good to have a public comment time period when you are providing what she calls a public facing service that probably might have uh, might have avoided this problem but either way i am so relieved that patreon is not going to change the fee structure i should pay the fees and that is how it seems to be looking for the foreseeable future thank goodness however many people did contact me to ask me to pursue alternate ways of her supporting the show so i am researching that into the new year and when i have information i will share all the details In the meantime, thank you very, very much for everything that you do to support the show. That includes pledges on Patreon, telling your friends, subscribing, leaving reviews with whatever podcast app or program or service you use to listen. The fact that you hang out with me every week is an enormous honor, so thank you. 
The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. Yes, this is Deviations Project. Yes, this is a Dust Day Fiddles, and I'm sure you identified this song. This is Favorite Things. You can find this album at Amazon, and I will have links to it in the podcast entry at Say It With Me, smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. Now, as always, I end the show with a terrible joke, and um, I'm very excited about this joke because we are in the middle of Hanukkah. So if you are celebrating Chag Sameach, Happy Hanukkah, I hope that this year and every year is bright and warm and that all of us have miracles. So are you ready for your terrible joke? This is through my husband who saw this tweeted by Josh Molina. What do you call a half-eaten piece of guilt? Give up? What do you call a half-eaten piece of guilt? Bitcoin! <laughs> I love it so much. It's so bad. Ah, thank you, Josh Molina, and thank you, Adam. And thank you to you for hanging out with me each week. I wish you the very, very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. Happy Hanukkah and happy holidays. I will see you here next week.